Amen. We come now to our time of the sermon this morning, and we are in Hebrews chapter 5, where we looked uh, just a, a moment ago. And of course, what we're looking at this week follows right on the coattails that we looked at last Sunday. In fact, it's part of the same uh, short message, which is part of the same longer message, uh, which is, as we mentioned before, kind of a, a parenthesis or a digression in the text as the author has worked through, first of all, the excelling greatness of Christ over and above everything, right? Over the angels, over Moses, over Joshua, over Aaron, over everything. He is exceedingly great, and he's made that point over and over again. And then he wants to talk about the priesthood for a while, and he begins into this by making some points about the priesthood. He says that there are some rules about being a priest, a high priest. You can't appoint yourself. Christ was appointed. Psalm 110 points to that fact. He said there are other things. He must be a man if he's going to minister on behalf of men. He must share our experiences in some way. He must suffer. He must experience our human weakness. All those things Christ did. All of them. And yet he didn't sin. And that's equally important, in fact, of complete importance, right? Because if he's a sinner, he's just like us. He is not able to offer the perfect sacrifice which He Himself is. He is not able to be the spotless Lamb of God. And so all of it would collapse and crumble if that weren't also true. So all these things are held together. And the author says, I want to tell you about them. I want to investigate them and talk about them. You need to learn about these things and recognize who Christ is. That He is a priest, not after the order of Aaron, but after the order of Melchizedek. And the author says, I have a whole lot to say about this. And you need to hear it but you can't. And this brings us to the end of chapter 5 and into chapter 6. He says, you're not prepared to hear it because you've grown dull of hearing. And we talked about that word last week. It means something like lazy in your hearing or just like it's not working properly. You're not hearing as you should. And then he goes on to say why that is. And we looked at this last Sunday morning and we're going to come back to it in just a moment. But as we think about it, we want to realize that as we bring chapter 5 to a close, it's leading into this great warning in chapter 6, one of the most serious and fearful warnings in all of Scripture. We mentioned last week it also attends with some great promises of Scripture, but there is a warning here that is very important to the people that are hearing this, and it's segued into by what he's saying here about you should have grown and you haven't grown. You should by now be teaching and you aren't teaching. You should be eating solid food, but you're not. You're still on milk. And this is a problem. And it's leading to an evidence in your life which we'll begin to talk about today. So if you will, turn to Hebrews chapter 5 again, and we're going to read those same verses again. Uh, in fact, I'm going to begin back at verse 5 so we hear the whole sweep of the end of this chapter. So he's been talking about the qualifications of being a high priest. And starting in verse 5, he says, Saul, so Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest. But it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he'd offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, 
He became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. Called by God as a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now that is our text for today. It's going to lead into this great warning in chapter 6. You want to see that? Just look at the very first word of chapter 6, something like, therefore. So based on what's just been said, here's what you need to do or need to think about. So again, it's important we get this right. And there's only four verses here that really come to describe this point given to us here. And so as we think about these last two verses of the text of this chapter 5, we want to look at these two points. First of all, striving for maturity in your faith. And second of all, striving against inactivity in your faith. So striving for maturity in your faith, we want to begin by recognizing, as we said a moment ago, this text piggybacks what we looked at last Sunday morning. It follows right on its coattails. You have to put them together and understand them together, but there's a lot here and we need to think about them. They become dull of hearing. That's what the author says. You're, you're not hearing as you should. It's, it's not ringing in your ears. You're not listening. You're not growing. You're not learning. You ought to be teachers and you're not. But it's even worse than that, isn't it? We talked about this last Sunday morning. It's not just that you should be teachers and you're not. It's not even that next step that you ought to be able to hear what I want to teach you today, but you can't. It's that you need to go back to kindergarten. That's what he says. You need to go back to the elementary things of the faith. The ABCs is what this means in Greek. You need to go back to the ABCs of the faith. You should be teaching, but you need to be taught. You need to be, you should be in these uh, more important and deeper matters of the Scriptures, but you're still in those basic things of the Scriptures. And we made the point last Sunday morning that most experts believe these people had been in the church for three to five years. And he's saying this to them. You should be teaching. Now, we made this point last week. It does not mean teaching in front of the entire church necessarily. But teaching in your homes, teaching your friends, answering questions that your children or neighbors may have or co-workers all these things are important, and we all need to think about them and hear them. We need to be prepared to give an answer. So again, we should all be growing. We should all care about this. We should all care about each other growing, our children growing, our church members growing. This is all a part of what's evident in this text. We are made to grow because we are living creatures, born anew by the Spirit of God, a new creature in Christ. And we are to grow as this new creature in Christ in growth and faith and knowledge. And so again, it's important. Now, in today's text, that's worded a little bit differently, isn't it? It's worded in this way. You're not ready for solid food. By now, you should be able to eat solid food, but you're not able to. Now, it doesn't take a PhD in theology to understand the reference here, does it? This is a reference from real life. When a baby is born, it's not prepared to eat steak. It doesn't have the tools it needs to eat steak. It doesn't have teeth to chew it. It can't hardly swallow something that's solid. 
And in fact, if you tried to feed a baby steak, what's likely to happen? It's likely to choke. It might even die. So again, we understand this from the order of life. There is a time in which in God, in His design, did not make it that children would eat or babies would eat steak or chicken, right? They eat of what their mother provides them, right? God designed the baby's mother to provide milk. It's one of the wonders of God's design, isn't it? That that baby can, can suckle from its mother and get the nutrients it needs. Able to swallow it easily. It's nourishing. It has everything that baby needs. That milk is good for that baby. In fact, Peter uses that very reference later and says that we should seek after the milk, doesn't he? What does he mean? He means when you're new in the faith, you should partake of that milk. Get the nourishment of that milk. Again, those elemental things. There's nothing wrong with getting those elemental things when we're new in the faith. That's what we are called to do. This is a principle that goes beyond just this natural picture of a baby. But as I recall, you don't enter into kindergarten and, and find that you're taught trigonometry. right? You'd have no frame of reference to understand it. You're not taught advanced calculus or physics in kindergarten. You have no tools to understand any of what's being said. What do you learn in kindergarten? Letters, how to recognize numbers. I don't remember that far back, but it's something like that, isn't it? You have to get the foundations first. Then you're ready to move on and learn things like addition and subtraction, and then maybe multiplication and division, and then other things as you move along. It's a principle we know. It's no different in the church. We begin by knowing very little about the faith, generally. We come in as babes. We know this. We need Jesus. He is the Savior. He is our only hope. We are desperate sinners. We repent of our sin and we turn to Jesus in faith, trusting that God's grace is sufficient to save us from our sins. So again, those are the things we enter in. We're not prepared uh, as kindergartners in the faith to go to a Ph.D. lecture at some seminary on Trinitarian theology. It wouldn't make any sense to us. The terms they use, we wouldn't understand. So again, we recognize that God has an order that is sensible and logical and reasonable. We have to get those elementary principles first, and then we build upon them and build upon them and build upon them and build upon them. But notice what the text is telling us. We ought to be doing that. Building and building and growing and learning and reading and studying and hearing that we might not stay where we once were. Now those are important principles. It's an evident principle, an evident pattern that we see uh, told to us in this text. You're going to begin at the, the milk. You're going to begin at those elementary things, those elemental principles. Well, what are those? We talked about it last Sunday. For all the talk about the difficulty of this letter, I believe this letter, at least these first five chapters, represent those elemental things. He tells us at the beginning of chapter 6 what some of those things are says in verse 1, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Let us go on to completeness. Well, what does that mean going beyond? He says, Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment. Those are what he calls the elemental things. In our churches, we call those the complicated things. Right? This might be a wake-up call to our churches today that we've not been doing what we're commanded to do. 
Because we think if we teach a, a sermon on the resurrection or a sermon on baptism that we're, boy, we're entering into some doctrine now. But he says these are the basic things you should have gotten in kindergarten in the faith. And now you've come to the more complicated things like these pictures from the Old Testament that point forward to who Christ is. I want to talk about Melchizedek and how his priesthood pictures Christ, foreshadows Christ, but you're not ready for it. Because clearly you haven't even understood who Christ is. You've not even understood who he is. Now, what does he base that on? You're going to walk away from him. You think you can walk back to the synagogue, walk back to Moses and have life. No. Christ is the one whom God sent. Moses told you that. By turning away from Christ, you're showing you do not recognize who He is or what He has accomplished or that He is your continuing and perfect high priest. And if that is the case, then you have neither part nor lot with us. Now again, this is the pattern. Grow from those things. Those things pave the way for you to understand these deeper doctrines that we need to get to. And even though you've been in the faith for years, you're still needing the elemental material the elementary material, the basic things, and the author says that's unacceptable. That's unacceptable. And you shouldn't accept it. It shouldn't just be pastors and teachers who are upset about this. You should be upset about it. We're a living creature. We're to be growing, to be learning, to be seeking after God, to be wanting to know more and more about theology. People say, oh, theology. Theology is the study of God. That's literally what the term means, the study of God. We ought to be excited to learn about God. And so it's an important part of our faith. As this author says, everything he's talking about here, these pictures are really theology. About the high priesthood and about how it prefigures Christ. About how Melchizedek was a picture of Christ. All these things, yes, are complicated, but important. And he tells us that. Now he goes even a different way of saying it by saying it this way. Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Unskilled. means if we're not ready to move on to the more complicated things, we're not skilled. We're not skilled. My friends, that shouldn't be satisfactory to us, to be called an unskilled laborer in the word of God. That ought to be a, a problem for us. He says you're literally a baby in the faith. You should be eating meat and potatoes. You see the picture? But you're not ready to. You're not ready to sit at the table. You're still kind of sitting in a high chair, right? Or or against your mother as she feeds you. You should be moving on and growing, and yet even after years, you haven't done it. Now, this is an important message to us. We need to think about growing in our maturity in the faith. Moving forward and growing in our maturity in the faith It's pretty clear from this text, God expects this of us. It's expected of us. Remember, this author is not some angry teacher. This is an author inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to write these words. And they're given to us in the Scriptures to speak to us as well and to remind us that we are to grow in the faith. And so again, we need to grow and become skilled in the word of righteousness. Now that phrase, word of righteousness, are, are words that we know well. Logos, this is the, the word that means in Greek. Word, it also means, it's what it said of Christ, right? He is the eternal word of God. This is what's used here. Word, 
of dikaiosune, the word that we've learned throughout Romans, righteousness. Now, what does he mean here? There's much discussion about this phrasing. I don't think there needs to be. He's telling you in the context of what he's talking about here what he means. You need to be skilled in the word of God, which is the word of righteousness. The word of how we are reconciled to a holy and righteous God. The problem you have, Hebrew hearers, and people all over the world today, is that you haven't heard the word of righteousness. You're not skilled in it. How do we know that? Because you're trying to be reconciled by God another way in the synagogue. And what we're telling you is there's only one way to be reconciled to God, and it's through Jesus Christ, His person and work. So you can't turn away from Him. Even if you're going to claim privately your motivations or otherwise, the Word of God will find you out. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It will reveal the intents of your heart. You may fool us. We might say, oh, it's a mission opportunity. It's whatever it is. You don't fool God. God knows you're running out of fear. You want to go back to Moses. You think Moses will protect you. You'll be safe in Moses, but you will not be. There is only safety in Christ. He is the only safe harbor for our souls. And so again, you need to be skilled in the Word. You need to think about the Word. You need to learn from the Word and not be spiritual babies. But to grow. Be grown men and women of God in the faith. Grow in the faith. That is the call. Now how do you do that? Begin with growing in knowledge. That's where it begins. We have to grow in our knowledge. That's where it begins. We need to be in church. We need to be hearing preaching and teaching. We need to be in the Bible at home. We need to be doing all these things. Why? Well, how are we going to grow in godliness if we don't know what God wants or what He's like or what He's revealed to us in His oracles, as this author has said? So again, we must come back to the Word of God. And that brings us to our second point this morning. Striving against inactivity in your faith. Because while we're obviously starting with knowledge, it's important to start with knowledge. We have to start there. That's what he's saying. You're not ready for new knowledge because you haven't learned the elementary knowledge. You know, that's like, uh, I think now they more and more pass people through, even if they haven't learned. But there was a time where if you didn't gain what you needed in fifth grade, you didn't go to sixth grade, right? If you didn't get what you needed in kindergarten, you didn't go to first grade. And what he's saying is you can't move on if you haven't learned the lessons here. There's important things you must learn. You must uh, observe and read and learn and gain. There is knowledge in this. But there's also more than just knowledge. There's a second element that he mentions here. Look at verse 14. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Now we would say, yeah, we get that. Those who have grown and learned. But listen how he defines full age. That is, that is, that is to say, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now that's not just knowledge, is it? That's also practice. Practice. That's action. That's being active in our faith. He makes this clear. We have an immediate point here that solid food is for those who have grown up. Yes, grown in knowledge, but in active knowledge, a knowledge that is working itself out in your lives as you live out your life by faith. Now, he makes it clear that this is applying to those who by reason of their use, by what they're doing with that faith, 
by reason of what they're doing with that faith, that they are growing. Excuse me, by that knowledge. It's not just having knowledge, but it's using that knowledge. And we immediately would notice that Paul is not just focused on knowledge, but on how we utilize that knowledge, how we use that knowledge. You know, you can go to school uh, for anything and maybe gain the knowledge uh, to pass the exams. Uh, You know, it's often been said about uh, maybe some doctors, right, who somehow got through medical school but really weren't prepared to practice medicine. Or those who got through law school somehow but weren't prepared to practice law, right? We can learn all these things but not actually put them to practice. In fact, you might argue that was one of the things Jesus said over and over about the Pharisees. They seem to have great knowledge of the Scriptures. They just didn't apply it to their lives. Right? They would talk about, they would do certain things. They would uh, tithe cumin and spices. But the weightier things they just ignored. They didn't practice. And so again, we need to recognize that it's not just what we know, but how we live it out. It's growing in faith and knowledge, yes, but it's practicing it. And that's what our inspired author tells us. The maturity that he's looking for is not just having knowledge to pass an exam. It's a knowledge that helps us live our lives in a way that is growing and faithful to God and living out in a way that brings glory to Christ. He says, it's by reason of those of their hexes or practice, those who by their practice are doing something over and over again consistently. That's what that word means, hexes. It means to do something over and over again where it becomes almost second nature. That's what practice means, isn't it? An athlete does what? Well, whatever his sport is, he's doing repetitions of it hundreds and thousands of times. Hundreds and thousands of times. I once saw an, uh, an Olympian for the United States who was talking about Taekwondo, and he says he gets up every day and he does a thousand of each of his kicks, whatever those kicks are, he does them each a thousand times a day, trying to strive for perfect form on every one of them. Why? Because when you get punched in the face or kicked in the face, you're going to revert back to what you know, what you've practiced rotely over and over again. And so again, here he's saying, make practice of it. Those who, by reason of practice, have gained something. Those who, in their practice, day by day, living out their knowledge, something has happened. This is a real-world activity. It's not a classroom activity. This is a real-world activity. Well, what have they done? Well, look at it again. Who by reason of their use or practice, that's that word we're talking about in Greek, exis, have their senses exercised. They put their senses, their heart, their, their mind, their ears, their eyes, all of it to work, to practice over and over again. They've trained them that they can discern both good and evil. What is the purpose of studying the Word of God and growing in our faith other than to learn how to live our lives and bring glory to Christ. That's why we're given this Word. There isn't just one book that tells us how to be saved, and that's it. There is many instruction here, of how, of much instruction of how we are to live the Christian life after we are saved, right? How we are sanctified in a way that brings honor and glory to Christ. And what our author is telling us here is God cares equally as much about that. He's given you much instruction in the Scriptures about that and that He expects that we're growing from milk to meat, to use that picture. From milk to solid food. Now, in Christ, we are children of God. 
Now here's the question. If you had a child that you're feeding milk to, that's a good thing at first, but they never begin to eat solid food, you begin to get worried, correct? They're not thriving. They're not growing. In the same way, God, our Heavenly Father, is concerned if we are not growing. It is what He expects of us. It is what He commands of us. And in fact, in this text, you can see that there is a problem because these believers haven't grown. They are not growing in such a way that they can partake of meat and have their faculties trained that they might discern both good and evil. Now, that's the point, that we'd be able to discern evil. If an evil opportunity is before us, we spot it. We mark it and we avoid it. If an evil teacher is before us, we mark them and avoid them. If heresy is preached, we hear it and recognize it and say, that's not right. That doesn't ring right to my ears. Maybe I can't fully explain why at first, but I know it's not right. All these things are things that we are to be trained to do. Now, what does it say about the current state of the church at large that there is heresy preached on television and everywhere else every single Sunday and no one seems to understand that or notice it? We're not being trained in the word of righteousness to where we can discern good and evil. How are Christians so confused by everything? How can they say the things that they say? We hear quotations all the time that drive us crazy. They've not discerned good and evil because they've not been trained in the word of righteousness. Now, my friends, it's important that we are trained in the word of righteousness, that we might live right before God, give an honest testimony before God and men, bring glory to Him, and be good to the other people of God in the way that God has called us to be, which is to build each other up. This is incredibly important for the church to be what the church is called to be. And if you want to look at how weak the church is in the West today, you might begin with this scripture right here. They didn't grow. They couldn't train the next generation. And it's collapsed from there. We're to be training up those in our church that they can do these things. In our homes, that they can do these things. That they can teach and give an credible testimony and walk before God in an honorable way, discerning good and evil and avoiding the evil and doing the good. This is the very thing that we've been called to do. And so again, uh, this shouldn't be a surprise to us. It's not the only place the Scriptures speak of this. We already mentioned that Peter says, yes, go after that milk of the Word while you're a babe. But he's not meaning stay there, is he? He means get the nourishment you need and then grow. Grow. We can also turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, can't we? If you've got your Bibles, do that. Paul uses a very similar picture here. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people. He means I would have liked to have come and spoken to you in a spiritual manner as to spiritual people, but I had to speak to you as carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, For until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For woman says, I am of Paul, and another I am of Paulos. Are you not carnal? Now, again, what is Paul getting at here? Think about Corinth for just a minute. Think about Corinth for just a minute. These are people who were exalting themselves. Were they not? They were, some were thinking they were advanced in their knowledge of the things of faith, but even more importantly than that, there was a debate about who had the better spiritual gifts. 
We have the more blessed spiritual gifts. We've ascended a little further than you all have. They're trying to order themselves based on what they see as the blessings of God. And Paul says it's all bogus. Whether or not you have the gifts and the knowledge doesn't really matter if it hasn't led to a change in life. See, his problem here is not that they don't have the knowledge or don't have the gifts. He deals with that more a little bit later. But his point is, even if you want to argue you do, you're still babes. Because look at how you treat one another. Look at how you walk as a Christian. It's disgraceful before God. And therefore, you cannot claim to be anything other than babies. Because you haven't learned the things you needed to learn to live the life you need to live. You still treat people terribly. You're arguing about who you belong to. You don't know you belong to Christ. You don't belong to Paul or Cephas. You argue amongst each other. You can't even partake of the Lord's table together in a right manner. You dishonor God in the way you partake of the Lord's table. But you want to talk about how you've grown. Stop kidding yourselves. You are babies in the faith. Paul was told all your great learning has driven you mad. Paul is saying here, all your supposed great learning and great gifts have availed you nothing in your Christian walk. Availed you nothing. Because you still haven't grown to live the way God wants you to live. Now what does this bring us back to? It's a principle we've seen over and over and over again. In Romans, we talked about this many times. In the Thessalonian epistles, we talked about this a number of times. The Bible makes it clear you cannot separate orthodoxy, right knowledge, from orthopraxy, right living. You cannot separate them. You cannot separate them. God intends that we take that right knowledge and we live rightly by it. That's what He intends and that's what He expects. And we could even go further from the way the Word is worded to us. It's what He demands. And He is God and we are not. And therefore we are to do it. To put it into action. And He says here in this text something very similar. Just like in Corinth they they may have thought they had great learning. They may have thought they had had great gifting. But it didn't avail anything because they didn't live a Christian life. They weren't living as God intended them to live. In fact, He says it would be better if you'd leave the Lord's table. Does He not? If you want to continue the practice that you've had, leave the Lord's table, go home and eat. Go home if it's just eating and drinking. You come as a community of God, come together as the people of God, fellowshipping with one another and loving one another as the people of God, recognizing what Christ has accomplished for us. Well, it's not that far off here, is it? You're going to claim you understand the the deeper things of the faith, and yet you think you can turn and walk away from Christ and be called in Christ? Or that you can walk back and be in Moses as if that means anything? Because Paul makes clear in Romans there are only two places to stand, in Christ or in Adam. Reconciled to God or against God. A child and friend of God or an enemy of God. That's your two options. If you say, I'm going to disassociate with Christ and go back to Moses, then what you're saying is you haven't understood anything. And so guess what? We need to go back to the ABCs. Christ is our Savior. We need to repent of our sins. He is our high priest who intercedes on our behalf. We need to go back through all those ABCs of the faith because you clearly didn't understand them. 
And you're showing us that by your actions. There's a marvelous thing we see in the Gospel of Matthew. We see in this letter and, and everywhere else you want to read in the New Testament. The tree is demonstrated by its fruit. We're not saved by our works. Make no mistake about that. We are saved by God's grace as we put faith in Christ. But again, the text makes clear to us that the tree is recognized by its fruits. Our fruits are the outworking of what is in our heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth brings forth. Out of the overflow of the heart, our actions bring forth. And this author is saying, at the very least, we've got to say, your actions show you haven't grown very much. The same thing Paul said in 1 Corinthians. So what is the takeaway we need to take away from this? We ought to hear this as well. This is a message to us. God is, of all the letters written, I'm sure we don't have them all, right? God chose some to be collected and, and in the Scriptures for our instruction. Hebrews is one of them. And so as this is said, this is said to us, are we growing? Are we growing in our personal life, in our, in our fellowship within the church? Is our church set up to help us grow? Those are things we need to be thinking about. But certainly this author says it begins with you desiring solid food. I'm sure when you were a baby and all you'd had was milk and somebody put some french fries and a frosty in front of you, that looks like that might be good. And once you've had a taste of it, you want more of it. And then somebody gives you a hamburger or a steak. You go, this is pretty good, right? It should be good to us. It was God's intention that it be good to us that we would desire these things. When we hear about Melchizedek, we ought to go, this is fascinating. I never knew this. And in this little picture in Genesis, we see something of the glory of Christ. Tell me more. Tell me where I can read more. Tell me how I can learn more. That's what we're to do. To be a people growing, desiring the the meat of the Word. The nourishment that we can only get from solid food. And the author says the problem in amongst these people is they didn't want it. They grew dull of hearing, dull in their appetite. They were fully able to eat or should have been by now fully able to eat steak. And they still wanted either milk or maybe baby food, right? Something like that. Let's move on. So my friends, we're going to have a chapter. We're going to have Easter next Sunday. We're going to come back the week after. We're going to be in chapter 6, a great and serious warning. We have to consider it. It's one of the most difficult texts people often say in all of Scripture, one of the most serious warnings in all of Scripture. But it prepares us for moving forward so this author can do the thing that he wanted to do, which is this. I want to tell you about Melchizedek and how he pointed to Christ. If you can begin to see the Old Testament that way, that it all points forward to Christ, then you'll begin to see how the Bible works together as one unified book to tell you that our salvation was always to be in Christ and it is only in Christ.